Welcome to the Rock of Bay County, Florida, where our vision is to be a multi-generational gathering, moving as one body to bring the glory of Yahweh to this beautiful county and to all the earth. We hope you are encouraged and blessed as you listen to this message. I want, I want to talk a little bit uh, this morning about something we began to engage with. Uh, in a moment, we, we had so much that Yahweh wanted to say to us last night. One of the things that we are beginning to understand is that there are dimensions available in this day that have never been available in any other day. One of the reasons why those dimensions are readily available to you and I is because of the faithfulness of men who journeyed into dimensions that others qualify, or let me say it like this, others dictated it was illegal to enter into those dimensions. I got a little ring, so bring me down just a little bit, okay? So the, the other men began to journey into those dimensions. They began to lay foundation. They were what we now call forerunners. They were pioneers. The issue is this. Whenever Yahweh raises up a pioneer, the authenticity of the pioneer is actually not measurable until the next generation finds permission to enter into rest where a previous generation has pioneered. The purpose of the pioneer was to make a way for the homesteader. And oftentimes, because we know that we reproduce after our own kind, all pioneers know how to do is raise up all other pioneers. All warriors know how to do is raise up other warriors. You see what I'm saying? So when you and I begin to become fully re-identified so that we can begin to function after our pre-designed intention. That's, that's apokatastasis. That's the Greek word that Yeshua must be held in heaven until the restoration of all things. That word is apokatastasis. And that literally means to put things back into the order they were in in a pre-designed state. Understand that he did not die on the cross simply so you would not die and go to hell. He went through what he went through so that you could find your garden again. The first Adam failed. The second and last Adam came to bring a measure of restoration that did not make escape possible. It made encounter possible. And encounter was to be the only legal gate to authentic dominion. Adam has no issue leveraging authority in the cosmos because he has a measure of communion that qualifies him to be a perfect agent or a perfect picture of the image of the one who was designed to rule all. So Yeshua comes not just to make sure that if we repeat a prayer, when we die, our eternal position for the disembodied soul will be a distant heaven. This much of this thinking was brought into the church by way of a philosopher by the name of Plato, who was not a believer. The Platonic influence has had an incredibly disastrous result on the thinking of the ecclesia. Why? Because Plato said that heaven and Yahweh are a great distance away and one day a disembodied soul will be given permission to escape the captivity of the cosmos in order to live in the dimension of heaven. And I, I'm like, I'm I like, this is, you, I don't know when you'll see me again, so I'm going to mess with you big time today. Okay. So, 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 so understand this, understand this. When you and I believe that what Yeshua paid for is an escape, we fail to leverage the breakthrough that has been assigned to us, which was occupy until I come. Okay. 
Second Corinthians 15 says that Yeshua is coming to deal with the last enemy death. That means you and I are responsible to deal with every other enemy until there's nothing left but death. He said the kingdom of heaven would be like three measures of leaven that were placed into lumps of dough that over an extended period of time, all of that leaven would begin to permeate the whole of the loaf. Daniel prophetically saw the kingdom of God like this, a small stone not hewed with hands that would grow into a giant mountain that would fill the entire earth. Ten minutes after the fall of Adam, nothing looked different. Neither did 10 minutes after the resurrection of the Christ, anything look different. But thousands of years later, Adam's appetite would be having a disastrous effect on humanity and the cosmos. Yeshua's resurrection a thousand years later is having an incredible impact on both the human condition and the cosmos. And for you to believe that the way we determine where we are on the clock of the kingdom is by staring at how ISIS is behaving and the Taliban is behaving is really an anti-biblical worldview. See, in the book of Revelation, there's a whore and there's a bride. And it's not legal to only study the condition of the whore to determine when we're going to see the return of Yeshua. Because he's not coming back when the whore begins to behave like the whore. She's always behaved like the whore. He's coming back for a bride that is without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. When we begin to understand that, we begin to recognize that last night was an increase to the measure of leaven that this family has been designed to function in. And now we begin to steward that breakthrough that we've been given until it begins to get deeper in us today than it was in us yesterday. So I I begin to talk about the challenge of how no generation has ever handed a move of God to the next generation. Our failure has created a theology that causes us to believe that revival comes and goes. Last about five years, maybe last seven years if you get a good one. Right? And then we fall away and then we need another revival and then we fall away and then we need another revival and then we backslide, front slide, backslide, front side. And, we've, and we call that in, in religion, we'd never call it backsliding, we call it seasons. I'm just in a winter season. It's, I'm in a valley right now. No, you, you're not burning the way that you were burning because you're not making decisions to fuel your interior flame. Every dry spell is a secondary consequence of choices. Not circumstances, choices. Because you look back over your life when you were going through disastrous circumstances, sometimes that was the hour when the fire was burning the hottest. Because you were not having your fire controlled by your circumstance, you were having your circumstance bow its knee to your fire. We have to be cautious that we don't begin to create theological excuses based on history. History was supposed to adapt to theology. Theology was never supposed to adapt to history. And your theology creates your eschatology. Your eschatology, eschatology creates your soteriology. So let me, let me just show you this. Let's do a little, do a little Bible call, a little, little seminar. I'll go back to my seminary teaching days. Okay. So watch this. So your theology, your belief about the nature of Yahweh determines your eschatology. Eschatology simply means the study of the end of things. Are the last things. Soteriology is us understanding why we're saved. It's the theology of salvation. 
And if you believe you were saved so that when you die, you may be able to escape as a disembodied soul to a far and distant heaven, that you'll miss that it does not yet appear what we shall be. But when he appears, we shall be like him. Do you know the word we've translated coming, the Lord's return or coming, is to be translated appearing 100% of the time? But we took the platonic influence and we made him far away, but one day he's going to come close. And actually what he's going to do is appear. The word is literally for that that is opaque to become translucent. It's a picture of the veil. See, the reason why you and I have to come into bridal identification is because it's only inside of bridal identification that you can legally remove the veil. And when you and I remove the veil and begin to operate in face-to-face encounters with Almighty Yahweh, we become reflections of the promise of Isaiah 60 that we arise and shine for our light has come and the glory of Yahweh has risen upon us. Let's just, let's just jump into some things here that I think I, I like to use a verse now and again just to make it all seem legal. The gospel of the kingdom will transition the idea of evangelism. Because the goal is no longer to just get people to repeat the prayer so when they die they don't go to hell. The goal of the kingdom is now to get people to find a way that the scripture identifies as straight and narrow and few there are that find it. If it's true concerning the kingdom, straight is the way and narrow is the gate and few there are that find it, you have to rejoice if you found your way through the gate. You then equally have to rejoice that you found a few other people who found their way into the gate too. And we've been so uh, uh, numerically conditioned in how we measure success that we believe that if if there were 10,000 people here and people were standing in line to get in, you'd easily call it revival. But with 120 people, Peter said, without question, this is that. 120 people, and he said, this is what Joel was talking about. When he said, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions, and old men will dream dreams upon your male servants and your female servants. In that day will I pour out my spirit, says the Lord. And he stumbles down the stairs in a seeming drunken stupor, and he says, we made it. This is that. There's only 120 of you. That can't be what Joel was talking about. He said, it might not be where it finishes, but it will absolutely be where it starts when a handful of people each get their own personal cloven tongue of fire. Notice that that fire did not fall on the head of all the apostles in the room. It fell on the head of everybody in the room. And the shift is going to be from you enjoying the fire on a handful. It's going to begin to fall on the whole family. And everybody's going to get their own personal flame of fire. My frequency meter's freaking on me. Feel it? Even if you don't understand it, when the actual gospel of the kingdom begins to be preached, you don't have to understand it. You just have to know by the spirit, the words that I'm hearing are spirit and life. Something's coming alive in me.
This is a turn in the road. This is a shift into a new age. He walked out of the bathroom stall and he was in Asia. I mean, get you some. Seriously, just get you some. Ah. This is how we do it. All right, he walked out of the bathroom stall and he was in Asia. I want you to look at Isaiah 60 with me. Let me just show you some things Yahweh's speaking to us. And then I want to kind of wrap this up at some point today. Um, I feel a measure of liberty to talk about the kingdom with this family because of the life of F. Nolan Ball and Shirley Ball. And I'm never going to come here without stopping to honor you, Miss Shirley, and to honor Apostle Ball. We are having the time of our life because of your faithfulness. My children will never know religion because of your faithfulness. Amen. Can we stop right now and honor Apostle Ball and Miss Shirley for faithfulness, years of faithfulness? Man, we're having the time of our life because somebody said, I'll be a pioneer so that a coming generation can establish a homestead. Amen. That's my always a joy to me. You can bring me back down a little bit and just shut her down. Isaiah 60, that's perfect. You own it. You own it. Isaiah 60 says, Rise up in splendor and be radiant, for your light has dawned, and Yahweh's glory now streams from you. Look carefully. Darkness blankets the earth, and thick gloom covers the nations. But Yahweh arises upon you. Yahweh arises upon you and the brightness of his glory appears over you. Nations will be attracted to your radiant light and kings to the sunrise glory of your new day. Say it's a new day. This is, this is crucial because if you... I talked last night about the, uh, the pineal gland and the eye being single which is how you and I, the scripture says if your eye be single, your whole body will be full of light. The word simplificare literally means if you have a single, simple focus, if you have a one thing obsession, your whole body will be full of light. You came from light. You've been designed to reflect light, but ultimately you are light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. By Him were all things made. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined forth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Then we know there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was not the light, but sent to bear witness of the light, saying, I am not he, but there is one coming after me who's mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to latch it. I baptize you with water. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and light. I mean fire. So this is the picture. <laughs> Come on. The picture is that we've believed that Jesus is the light and we're to point people to the light, but he baptizes us in fire 
so that we can not just be able to point people to the light, but we can become an appropriate representation of the light in the culture. This is the whole idea. The whole idea is not to just represent him, it's to represent him. We begin to represent him. We begin to show the cosmos. We begin to show the culture as well as the individual what Yahweh is actually like. Now, this is where I'm going to take a huge turn. Are you ready? Romans 2 says it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. Romans 2, 4. It's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. The word goodness there is the word kindness. It's the word Christos. So in essence, this is what you and I were supposed to have as the foundation for our repentance. Yahweh is kind. If that was not the foundation for your repentance, it's likely that something broke down in your transformation and you settled for escaping the cosmos instead of reclaiming it. It's, it's vital that you and I return back to the revelation of who Yahweh says he is, not what religion taught us about him. Now, the, the, what's so crazy is we began to talk last night about re-identification, right? He's identifying you. He's beginning to deal with the last of the trickster, the heel grabber, the manipulator, the last piece of Jacob in you, keeping you from being the tribe of Israel that you were designed to be in the earth. That's what you were designed to be, the tribe of Israel. You, you are the new Jerusalem. It's not a place, it's a person. You need to become the new Jerusalem because it's the capital of a new heavens and a new earth. And we are in the early stages of the restoration of a new heavens and a new earth with you as the capital of the new heavens and the new earth, the tribe of Israel functioning as a new Jerusalem. Sorry to give you all that on Sunday morning, but it will certainly offend you to the point maybe you'll go study. That's kind of my goal. <laughs> so hear this. This is, this is, this is crucial. So crucial. If we fail to see him as kind, then we have to question whether what we legally experienced, was it actually repentance? What, what, can we legally, let me say it like this, can we legally say what we went through is metanoia, the word repent to change the way that you think? What was, if, the, if the foundation for all thought process is the nature of Yahweh and his nature is kindness, and you believed that the first thought you needed to have was that you're filthy. Could it be that something broke down in your capacity for transformation because you failed to approach him aggressively because you believed that he saw you as filthy? Now, if, 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 if I was, I, I am neither a, uh, a reformed Calvinist nor am I a classic an Armenian Wesleyan uh, theology guy. I, I fall somewhere in the middle. I'm a three and a half point Calvinist. That's what I tell people. So, so, so if you, if you, if you was, if I was teaching classic Calvinism, we would, we would go through the tulip. The first stage of the tulip, Calvin's theology would be total depravity. And we thought the most important thing for man to know was total depravity. The first theology course I took, spent eight years in theology. The first theology course I took was supposed to be six weeks. We spent three and a half to four weeks on the idea of total depravity because what they wanted us to understand was we were broken. And I wanted to raise my hand and say, I knew that before I got here. <laughs> you didn't have to t spend three and a half weeks teaching me I was screwed up. I knew I was screwed up when I got here. I need to know a way out. And the way out is the kindness of God that leads you to change the way you think. Change the way you think about what? About him being kind. 
If the first thought was not he's kind, then you spend years continuing to try to approach him with I'm filthy. And it's a one-way conversation. And every time you get in his presence, you tell him you're sorry, I shouldn't have, and I never will again. And he said, I knew you were going to do that before I ever picked you to do this. David says, in, in sin and iniquity was I shaping in my mother's womb, as, uh, Psalm 51. And we took that and we made it applicable to everybody in the human condition. And it's not true. David was shaping in iniquity and sin because David was a secondary consequence of an illegitimate relationship with his father and another woman. He wasn't saying that for all of humanity. And so everybody has said, we're, we're filthy, but, but, it's, but, but it's awesome. The grace of God's going to get us into heaven when we die. And there's a problem. You're the first and not the last. Above only and not beneath. You're lenders and not borrowers. Everything you set your hand to is supposed to prosper. And everywhere the sole of your foot will tread, that ground is supposed to be given to you. And if you have faith in your heart and don't doubt, you're supposed to speak to mountains and they go cast themselves into the sea. And you wonder, why can't I become who I was designed to be? Because the foundation of the thought shift has got to be kindness. It's got to be kindness. And if the foundation of the shift in thinking becomes he's kind, that means he's accessible, he's approachable, and he's interested. Which causes us to have to bring a distinction in how we identify Yahweh. Here we go, here we go. So last night he talked about re-identifying us. One of the tremendous passions that marked all of our life in the heart of F. Nolan Ball, Apostle Ball. One of the tremendous passions in his life was to get you to get his name right. Don't look at me like y'all know what I'm talking about. I remember, I remember preaching here when Apostle Ball was still alive, which frankly was miserable. And I told him, I, he said, what are you going to speak on today? I said, uh, Yeshua, Yahweh, the kingdom, government, and order. Would all those things be okay? So I said, I'm just going to get up and say, Yeshua, Yahweh, kingdom, government, order. Yeshua, Yahweh, kingdom, government, order. Lawless. Yeshua, Yahweh, kingdom, government, order. That's what I'm on. He appreciated my humor, even if you do not. So he was adamant about us getting his name right. His name is Yahweh. His name is not Lord. Lord is not his name. His hands in his pants like this right here. How masculine a human being do you have to be to talk for two and a half hours with your hands in your pants? See, it's weird when I do it. it He wanted us to get his name right. He really wanted us to get his name right. Yahweh is his name. Are you ready? Can I mess with you? Nolan was his name. Guess what I didn't call him? Nolan. Ever. Not even in my heart. Not not even under my breath. Right? 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 So it was was an air of distinction. What fascinated me more about Apostle Ball's commitment, what, what fascinated me more than just Apostle Ball's commitment to getting his name right is that he refused to allow his children to call him anything but daddy. Not even dad. Daddy. So you got grown women 
with grandchildren going, Daddy. Right now, if you talk about him right now, it's Daddy. I love that was one of my favorite things about Apostle Paul because everybody saw him as this governmental man. You need to walk around on eggshells, but his children were able to approach him as Daddy. This is the this is the shift. See, his name is not just Yahweh; it's also Abba. And I don't want my kids to call me Damon. I want my kids to call me Daddy. So there's another measure of the revelation of his nature that is going to be, come on, re-emphasized by the next generation to say his name is Yahweh and he is my papa and I have access to him because the foundation of who he is is kindness. And people are afraid of that. They're afraid of that being treated casually. But I never saw daddy being used casually in that home. It was an endearing term. Hello? Did that stop him from being an apostle? Absolutely not. But to those that knew him well enough and walked closely enough and were fully joined, he could be equally apostle and daddy. He can be equally Yahweh and Abba. Come on, let's take the lesson today. And when, when you start letting him in your heart identify, listen, identify who he is. When he gives you grace to identify who he is, it's, this, it's the announcement that he's going to begin to talk to you about who you are. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Yahweh is now going to start to stream from you. The glory of Yahweh is a secondary consequence of his nature. The glory streaming from you is a secondary consequence of being created in his nature. He's light, you're light. He's from light. You're from light. Or we can keep handing out tracts and getting people to repeat the prayer so when they die, we can stand up at the funeral and say they didn't go to hell. They lived in hell the whole time they were here, but they didn't go, we don't think. They, <laughs> they went there when they died. And he said, I, there's a more excellent way. The more excellent way is for you to get not the gospel of escaping the cosmos, but receive the gospel of the kingdom that is the, 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 the measure of leaven that was designed to permeate the whole of the loaf. And people say, well, things are getting worse. Things are getting worse. No, they're not getting worse. They're not getting worse. Go walk through a graveyard 100 years old and see how many infant tombs there are and tell me things are getting worse. No, seriously, go walk through a 100-year-old graveyard. It will be littered with children that never lived past the age of two or three years old because they died of diseases that we don't even deal with on a daily basis anymore. Right? Why? Because there is a progression happening. Righteousness is beginning to rule the land, but because you believed the kingdom of God came like the 82nd Airborne instead of Levin, you keep waiting for your steward to return and do what he told us to do. He's not coming back because we failed to disciple nations. He didn't tell us to disciple nations and knew that we were going to do a poor job, but it would be okay because he would come do it for us at the end. He's waiting on somebody to realize that you are designed to be glorious enough that nations begin to be attracted to your life. How do you disciple nations? You become irresistible to nations. The assignment to disciple nations is hidden in the promise that you are to become the desire of nations. Isaiah 60 says nations in a day of darkness will be drawn to the light of your dawning. When you begin to wake up and shine, all of a sudden you become a transformative agent without aiming at cultural reformation. You just begin to do what Yeshua did, which is live a life that is a light.
in him was life. And the life was the light of men. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The idea, the John 10 revelation that I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly is immediately preceding the idea that the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. They're connected. The thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We made the thief the devil, and it's nowhere in that context is the devil even being talked about. The thief is the leader of the religious community that refuses to come in by way of the door. It's about sheep and wolves. Come on, somebody. Right? The whole context of that, go study it, is there are leaders that are unwilling to come through the door that is the Christ. And because of that, they live their lives to have an influence over people. And it's robbing from them. It's stealing from them. It's destroying from him. And Yeshua said, I've come to set you free from the religion that's keeping you from being the light that you were designed for. You were designed to be light. You were designed to be light, city set on a hill, streaming that cannot be hidden. Day and night, night and day, night and day, day and night. Isaiah 60, one more time. Rise up in splendor and be radiant, for your light has dawned, and Yahweh's glory now streams from you. Look carefully. Darkness blankets the earth, and thick gloom covers the nations. But Yahweh arises upon you. Nations will be attracted to your radiant light. The brightness of his glory appears over you. Nation, when? In a day of great darkness and gloom, your shine becomes the beacon for nations. You either see the darkness as an announcement that your anemic eschatology is being reinforced. See, this is the problem. We hear about things happening in the Middle East and we subconsciously get excited Because the worse it gets, according to our eschatology, the closer we are to our hope, which is the return of Christ. And nowhere in the Bible is the hope ever the return of Jesus. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The gospel of the kingdom of Almighty Yahweh is the hope of nations. So when it gets darker, it either becomes an announcement that you're about to get your selfish wish fulfilled, which is get out of here. Or it means you better look in the corners because somebody's going to start to glow in the dark. Some group of people somewhere with a roof ripped off their gymnasium is going to find a measure of the presence of Yahweh and they're going to become combustible agents of streaming light and glory. Nations will be attracted to your radiant light and kings to the sunrise glory of your new day. Rock of Bay County, welcome to your new day. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of Almighty Yahweh is arisen upon you. Nations are going to be attracted to the radiance of your burning light. Are you glad you made it to a new day? You're in a certain place. 
You're in a place of certitude. You're in a certain place by way of being in a certain place. You can now experience the inheritance of a new day. Now, let's see what's essential to accompany this. You ready? Go over now to Isaiah 62. You don't have to travel there with me. I'm an excellent reader. <laughs> you need to follow along. Make sure the preacher's telling the truth. If he's not telling the truth, go to somewhere where they tell the truth, please. But don't feel like you have to follow along. <laughs> I grew up with some preachers. I wondered if they could read, but we got some now that can read, so we're good. All right. (laughs) Isaiah 62, for Zion's sake, how can I keep silent? For Jerusalem's sake, how can I remain quiet? I will keep interceding until her righteousness breaks forth like the blazing light of dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. Nations will see your victory vindication and every king will witness your blinding radiance. Nations will see your victory vindication and every king will witness your blinding radiance. You will be called by a brand new name given to you from the mouth of Yahweh himself. Say new name. New day. New name. New day. New name. All right, now go to Matthew 16. Oh, I think I'm going to stay for a week and just do this every night until, until, there's, until there's three people left. Those three people will be phenomenal. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Matthew 16. When Yeshua came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples this question. What are the people saying about me, the son of man? Who do they believe I am? They answered, some are convinced you're John the baptizer. Others say you're Elijah reincarnated or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? Yeshua asked. Simon Peter spoke up and said, you are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Yeshua replied, you are favored and privileged, Simeon, son of Jonah, for you didn't discover this on your own, but my Father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. I give you the name Peter, a stone, and this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. He then gave his disciples strict orders to tell no one that he was God's anointed one. Here's the exchange. Who do you say that the son of man is? Some say Jeremiah, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. But who do you say that I am? Simon, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven, I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom so that whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. From this day forward, your name shall be called Petra. Upon this rock, I'll build my church and the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. How does the conversation start? Peter's asked to give identity to the Christ. What's the exchange? Immediately, the Christ turns and starts to identify Peter. So, so, so your years calling him Yahweh are not wasted. You've just been waiting for this moment where he'd start talking to you about your name. He's Yahweh, and you can be glorious because you're convinced he's Yahweh. Watch this. 
but there is a measure of proximity that will necessitate the Abba revelation. Let me get, I want you to I want to help you. You can't make him fiery and frustrated and distant and glow the way you were designed to. And whenever I start talking about this, you get the religious spirit wants to make sure that we're keeping him as holy. The whole idea, the whole revelation of him as Kadesh, the whole revelation of him as holy is that he's separate, he's different, he's other than. Watch this. I want you to get this. Hosea said a day would come where nations would fear the Lord because of his goodness. Hosea 3, 5. Nations would fear the Lord because of his goodness. See, the goodness of God does not move us away from the fear of the Lord. The goodness of God is the only legal means for us to be seated deeply enough in the revelation that he's good. He's good. He's so good. There's a verse in Psalms that says, rejoice with fear and trembling. You talk about conflicting emotions. Rejoice with fear and trembling. I I know what that is now. Because when we come into this measure of encounter with the presence of Yahweh, there's something going on inside of me that I cannot fully describe because I feel the fear of the Lord and I feel the holiness of Almighty God and I feel the justice of Emmanuel present in the room and I feel Abba saying, now come learn to rule with me. Come learn to do justice with me. Come learn to prevail in righteousness with me. This is a revelation, friend. This is a revelation. Who do you say that I am? Because if you can get that part right, hell will never prevail against you. I believe it's a picture of an Isaiah 22 revelation that he would lay upon him the keys of David, Dahavid, the beloved. I'll lay upon him the keys of David that opens doors that no man can close and closes doors that no man can open. The key is representative of government. It was interesting to me last night as I sit in here, Yahweh said, look at the floor of this gym. Immediately, all of my Aaron Smith people know this is where Apostle Aaron learned he doesn't know how to sweep. (laughs) How many of you have heard the story? He was in here sweeping. I got, I've been called in the ministry, went to Bible school to do this right here. I'm in here sweeping. Apostle Ball said, that's not how you sweep. You do it like this. You're going to wear yourself out. This is how you do it. You sweep like this. He came and said, I don't even know how to sweep. I quit. I don't even know how to sweep. I give up. As I began to look at the floor, I recognized that right here is the top of the key. I mean, you non-basketball people. This is the top of the key. There's no three-point line in here, which means not real court. So <laughs> I can't touch the rim anymore. I shoot from back here. If you give me, give me a, some, give me, I don't want it to count. This is the top of the key. This is what I believe Yahweh's doing by even bringing us into this gym. I believe he's bringing us back to the top of the key. Come on. Come on. Nolan Ball became an instigator. Watch this. He was provocational. He was a pioneer. Right? Right? You and I are now to become the rest of the key. The distinct dimension 
that unlocks things that have remained locked so that the prophetic words and promises that were given to that man can begin to be fulfilled in our day and then be more fully fulfilled in the generation that comes after and then more fully fulfilled in the generation that comes after because the leaven starts to permeate the whole loaf. This is crucial. It's crucial to understand that what was being fashioned and what was being forged and what was being pioneered here was in order that you and I might become the finishing piece of the key that actually causes the door to unlock and the door to the signs and the wonders and the miracles and the, 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 the harvest of souls and the evangelism of Bay County, all of the things that never seemed to be able to get finished. We had to continue to pioneer. It was waiting on the next generation to come. Listen, listen, listen. Abraham owned all of the promised land, yet personally never owned an acre in the promised land. But Abraham considered the one who promised him the land faithful because he knew it would actually be inherited by his sons. Remember, we learned last night, Abram builds an altar between Bethel and Ai before there is a Bethel because it takes Jacob to name the certain place of his grandfather's encounter. Every time he brings me into another dimension of grace to identify who he is, he brings me into another dimension of grace to receive identification concerning who I am. Many of you were content... I'm going to offend you a little bit, but you'll be okay because you grew up around Nolan Ball. Many of you were content to live vicariously through an apostle and never became apostolic yourself. He'll hear for God for me. He'll tell me what to do. If I'm not doing it correctly, he'll let me know. And you know how much easier that is than learning to actually hear for yourself? What do we do? Do whatever Apostle Ball tells us to do. It's weak. It's immature, and it's not what he paid the price he paid for. He paid the price he paid. How many times did you hear to have a people that could hear and obey? Not just hear and obey him. Get this. This is the word to Peter. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. I didn't tell you that. Who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yeshua says to him, you're blessed because you didn't get that from me. You got that one straight from my father. Flesh and blood doth not reveal that unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. And you are now learning to get access to the Father for yourself instead of living in codependence. Why is that crucial? Because you're designed to shine. You're de- you are sent ones. Well, I'm not an apostle. I know a lot of people who call themselves apostles who are not apostles. If you'd like a list, meet me in the back. You know a lot of them. That's chapter three of Apostle's book, Flops I Sponsored. You can get the list right there. <laughs> and there's a lot of you that don't yet understand Yahweh introduced you to the apostolic to loose you into a life of liberty where you received the maximum measure of permission to arise and shine for your light is coming. The glory of Yahweh is intended to stream from you until nations can't stand it anymore. They have to come find out who you are. The most common question I'm asked in my personal life, the most common question far and away that I'm asked more than anything is, who are you? Who are you? 
who are you? And you know what I used to say? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm Damon. Who are you? And Yahweh made me start telling them. Who are you? And then I had to start agreeing with his, well, brother, we need to operate in humility. Humility is agreement with his perspective. Amen. Let me say that again. The definition of humility is agreement with Yahweh's perspective. The word humilitas is a Latin word, and it literally means to agree with what is true. It's a Latin word, humilitas, a beautiful word. It's to agree with that that is true. It's to come into agreement with truth. It's not to say, oh, I'm a nobody, but thank God I'm a sinner saved by grace. Vomit, come, cuss words and vomit come into my mouth all at the same time. I'm learning to not let one of those out, so your choice. <laughs> I'm a sinner saved by grace. You were for what Nolan Ball identified as a nanosecond. Remember the skeet? It was neither rising or falling. Mr. Earlier remembers the analogy of the skeet goes in there and it's, there's a point in time where this needs a rising or falling. There's a nanosecond between the third and the fourth day and I'm correcting the Bible because I have the same Holy Spirit that they did. Just, you had to love it. Whether you agreed with it or not, you had to love it. Now, people are going to hear me say that and I'm going to catch all kinds of hell because a half a million people will listen to this by this time. I'm not kidding you. A half a million people will listen to this by this time next week if we, if we pump it out there. You think, you think Apostle Ball got in trouble. Imagine that stuff being on a podcast. They had to dig for it and get a cassette tape. This stuff is going around the world. Oh. There's a nanosecond. There's a point in time where a shift takes place. And if... You're not cognizant by the Spirit. You'll miss the significance of the dawning of a new day. A new day will dawn and you'll find yourself stuck between the dimensions, wondering why you're not experiencing what other people are experiencing. It's because you failed to fully make the shift into what was available when he said, I know you've been surviving, but I'm changing your narrative. Now arise and shine. If you fail to discern that shift, you'll end up in the tension between rest and restlessness. I call it interior duplicity. The interior duplicity that generates the double-mindedness that causes you to operate in instability. The scripture says a double-minded man, help me get back to interior duplicity. The Bible said a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Being double-minded does not mean you have 50% of two paradigms present. Being double-minded means there are two paradigms present regardless of to which degree each is there. Double-minded means there's two paradigms. If 5% of you is in disagreement with his truth, you're double-minded. And you'll never know it until pressure comes. Stand up, Jason. So a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. He doesn't know he's unstable until something manifests in his life that creates a lack of stability. How does that happen? He immediately goes to the 5% that's not true. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he's not good. Maybe he's not kind. I know God can, but does he care? See, this is the issue. Because we said the three most specific, distinct things that describe who Yahweh is is that he's omniscient, right? 
He's omnipresent and he's omnipotent. Those are not three things he primarily identifies about himself. There are three things that are true, but they are not primary points of identification. He says far more often that he's good than he ever does that he's omnipotent. And there's a lot of people that believe he can, but you fail to believe he cares because religion said he's way off at a distance just letting things play out until you get it figured out. And the Bible disagrees by saying not one sparrow falls out of the sky without his knowledge. That he knows the numbers of the hairs that are on your head and that they are numbered. He is intricately interested and involved in every detail of your existence. But if you believe he's other than kind, then you will recoil from the measure of approach that was designed to bring you into the Abba Revelation. And it's there that you get identified. In a certain place, he announces a shift into a new day, which is your access to a brand new name. You find a place of certainty. Let me say it like this. You find a place of certitude. Out of a place of certitude, he'll begin to shift the ages. We are in a shift in the ages that are moving us out of the excuse of seasonal religious American Christianity. All right, Psalm 1. I'm going to go for this quick. Quick, what time is it? Good, all right. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In that law does he meditate day and night. You know this. He'll be like a tree planted by rivers of living water. Many translations say that bring forth fruit in its season. That is not an appropriate translation. It should say that brings forth fruit in every season. Most reputable translations have already made that adjustment. Brings forth the tree that is planted by rivers of living water. Brings forth fruit in every season. Its leaf never withers, and whatsoever it does prospers. What happens? When people begin to find a certain place where there's a place of, of a stream and a place of a river and a place where God is present and God is moving, if they will get planted there, they will no longer live codependent on what falls. Why does the tree planted by the river always have fruit and have a leaf that never withers because it's not receiving its resource from rain that falls, but it's let its roots attach to a river that flows. When the children, oh yeah, when the children of Israel come out of Egyptian captivity, they have to for a season depend on what falls. It's called manna. Yahweh designed them to get sick of what he sent. Who sent manna? Yet he knew their belly wasn't designed for manna. He knew it was designed for milk and honey. So he sustained them and then expected them to get sick of being sustained. Because they were designed to live from what flows, not what falls. And if you get your roots deep enough, it doesn't matter if there's a cultural drought. It doesn't matter if there's revival in the nation. It doesn't matter what they're saying on Christian television. That's not where you receive your resource. You allowed yourself to be planted by streams of living water and you never have another fruitless season. Why is this important? 
Because your leaves, the Bible says, are for the healing of the nations. The book of Revelation says that there are trees planted along the stream of God that bear fruit in every season. Those are the same trees in Psalm 1. They are the same trees that are in Ezekiel 47. They're back there in Revelation 22. The fountainhead for that water is the throne of God and the Lamb. The throne of God and the Lamb begins to release a flow of water that you're not just supposed to say, that's awesome and that's beautiful and that's amazing. You're supposed to stop right there and get planted. And the issue with why we haven't been able to heal nations is because we've not had planted sons and daughters that find a certain place and become immovable. If a tithe of the sons that started with me had remained, I'd have too much to do. But they don't remain because they won't want to be planted. They want to drink from your stream. They want that paycheck. They want you to help them plant that church. They want to use your platform to bring exposure to their ideas. But they don't want to get planted because the first phase of planted is called covered. And you know how many people ask me to be their covering? I would like for you to be my covering. I said, well, then bring me a shovel. We'll get started right now. I'll be more than happy to cover you up because unless a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. And the first phase of rooted is not fruit. The first phase of rooted is covered, hidden. Hello? So that you can, in the process of time, begin to develop a root system significant enough that you're no longer subject to seasons. The church at large does well when it's raining. The promise of Isaiah 60 is you're going to shine the brightest when it's the darkest. Think it not strange then that God gives you a hurricane ravaged city. Because every empty lot is waiting for you to identify what's supposed to go there. Everywhere a tree used to be, I'm going to preach this part right here now. Hiyah. There's a scripture that says, even after a tree has been cut down, where's that, Mark? Do you know? Look, look that up for me. I want to get it right. Even after a tree has been cut down and its roots have died and waxed old in the ground, yet at the scent of water, it will sprout again. Because I couldn't get anybody in this room to agree with me about Mark fixing the tree problem. Look, your city's too ugly without trees. This town needs trees with moss hanging out of them and big limbs and about that bigger. Well, we lost all of our trees. Says who? Job 14, now let me just read it. You got it on your, on your, on your phone right there. I'm going to sure enough need some glasses for that. All right. Okay, so Job 14, verse 9. How do I get to the whole verse? Here we go, here we go, here we go. Y'all technology people, take me off, I'm telling you. Here we go, there we go, all right, here we go, here we go, here we go, okay, okay. For there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, that it will sprout again and that its tender shoots will not cease. Though its roots may grow old in the earth and its stump may die in the ground, yet at the scent of water it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. There is hope for a tree. 
Come on. There is hope for a city that at the scent of water, what looks like it's dead, is going to come back to life again. For there is hope for a tree, if it's cut down, that it will sprout again, that its tender shoots will not cease. Though its roots may grow old in the earth and its stump may die in the ground. Yet at the scent of water, it will bud again and bring forth branches like a plant. This is what I call reclamation. This is a redesigned or a recapturing of an original design Predesigned intention. It is apocatastasis. It is you and I becoming who we were designed to be so we can take cosmic futility and call it back into intended purpose because the answer for creation in chaos is a sun in order. Feel it today. Last night, Abraham to Isaac to Jacob becoming Israel to a family of people becoming tribal. You are becoming in a weekend. I say that you're not, not, that's not correct. You are being given permission to become this weekend what you've been becoming, which is no longer subject to the futility of seasons. The trees in Psalm 1, the trees in Ezekiel 47, and the trees in Revelation 22 all have one thing in common. They never know what winter's like. We have allowed our experience to move from winter to spring to summer to fall when the kingdom was designed to go from glory to glory to glory to glory. Never from winter to spring to summer to fall. From glory to glory to glory to glory. And when tragic things happen around you, it's really the earth crying out for you to begin to set her in order. Her chaotic winds are an announcement that, listen, if you were a storm, okay, and you wanted to hit the planet, and Jesus is alive, wouldn't you stay away from Jesus? Yet storms sought him out. Why? Because they knew he was the only one that could set them in order. So a hurricane happens and immediately one side of the church decides it was God's judgment and the other side of the church decides it was the devil. Nobody's willing to admit it was the fault of the people he put in charge of the planet. Why does a storm seek you out? So you can set it in order. Did it bring destruction? Yes. And it also provided you a blank slate. Bay County is groaning and travailing for the manifestation of the sons of Almighty Yahweh. I want to say this to you. If I could shift one, if, if I could be used by Abba to shift one thought in your heart this weekend, 
to shift one thought in your heart, it would be to refuse to see Yahweh independent of the lens of Yeshua. He said it like this. Philip comes to Jesus, Yeshua the Christ, and says, Lord, if you'd show us the Father, that would be all that we need. Yeshua looks at Philip and says, Philip, how long have I been with you and you still don't understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Colossians said that Jesus was the express image of Yahweh the Father. Uh huh. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Any idea you have about the Father that you cannot find in the Son is an illegal theological idea. So let me, many of you in this room, you live in an interior duplicity between rest and restlessness because you think Yeshua is the good cop. His father's the bad cop, and Yeshua's there to make sure dad doesn't get mad and wipe us all out. Now, I know, I know you, that may sound stupid to you, but some of you really believe that. I did. In here, I believed that God was completely frustrated with my lack of development, with my complacency, and with my spiritual apathy. And every time he thought about taking me out, Jesus would hold up his nail-scarred hands and say, Remember, Dad, remember, Dad, remember, Dad. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. I know he's worthless, but don't do it. So we tried to earn our way. We tried to strive our way into something that we're going to have to rest our way into. Jacob was converted to Israel by way of becoming a dreamer who was willing to surrender to a process of rest when his whole life he had tried to manipulate his way out of the harm he deserved from his brother Esau. The transformation takes place by way of Jacob being re-identified. Watch this. When Jacob becomes Israel, do you know what happens? He's no longer afraid of Esau. Why? Because he had seen the face of God because he had become the full version of what he was. See, our issues of fear are actually byproducts of misidentification. Because if you believed what he said about you, what then would you fear? Now, what's your, your, I saw your sign out there, and then I heard you reference this last night. One thing have I desired of the Lord. Psalm 27. Let's, let's look at the whole chapter. Ready? I know it's late, but we'll do this fast. Y'all had Nolan Ball in here. Y'all should be fine. <laughs> right? Right? This is the opening. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, I will not fear. Though war should rise against me, and this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Then shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. I will say of the Lord, he is my rock, my strength, Strength, my refuge, my God, in him will I trust. When thou saidest unto me, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. What is it? This is, this is David being tormented, harassed, and chased by his enemies. And he gets a revelation under an inferior covenant that he's so favored by God that God's going to surround him with a shield of kindness. 
Not because David never messed up, because David chose to trust where he used to strive. He canceled the interior duplicity and he fully embraced the revelation of rest. A writer that's greatly influenced my life called the conversion or, 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 or the, called the journey from mistrust to trust a second conversion. Everybody in this room, everybody in this room believes he can. Yet there are many in this room who still struggle with he cares. Get a diagnosis and you'll never question, can he touch you? But you will question, will he touch you? And until you cancel that double-mindedness and begin to dare to believe that he cannot resist the cry of his beloved. Come on, Phil, I want you to feel this. There's a hope that begins to come into hopeless situations when we begin to say, this is not going to end. I'm tired of watching the movie where he doesn't come through. Come on, I'm tired of watching the movie where you say, yeah, but I've got things in my past. Yeah, but you were not there where you are now. This is a new day and do not carry the pain of an old day into the promise of a new day. Let this be fully a new day. Get you a brand new name and you're gonna start to stream light. It's a new day. It's a new day and I'm telling you, restlessness will not work in this day. We accomplish some things in another day by way of striving we accomplished some things in another day by way of works, but we never became the desire of nations. We never became the city set on a hill that we were designed to be. We never saw the miracles that we were designed to see. We never saw the impact of evangelism that we were designed to see. And what we tried to do is we tried to say, well, if we work harder, then maybe we'll get there. And he said, you, what you need is you need to understand faithful men and women laid a foundation for you to have access into a new day. Pioneers gave permission for us to become homesteaders. One of the most important gifts Apostle Ball, Miss Shirley, ever gave my family and I was making Aaron Smith stay in Mobile. Why? Because a pioneer sent a homesteader to say the kingdom needs an expression there and you're going to have to remain. And when it gets hard, you're going to have to remain. And now I drink from the roots of his commitment to remain. I'm not telling you where to be. I'm telling you find where you're meant to be and let your roots begin to go deep in a certain place and begin to drink from streams of living water so that you can come out of this seasonal excuse for apathetic days of complacency. You were designed to burn day and night, night and day, night and day, and day and night. Leviticus 6.13 says, the fire shall ever be burning on the altar. It will never go out. Never goes out. I guess probably one of the great passions in my life, one of the most, today, one of the things I'm most passionate about in my life is longevity. Is seeing the next generation do it better. We're going to do that. I'm committed. Stepping into an apostolic seat is tremendously humbling and surreal for me to be doing that here, but I'm here. And we're going to finish. Oh, we're going to become the rest of the key. We're going to join ourselves to the government of the top of the key. 
We're going to become the rest of the key. And there's some things about to get unlocked around here. Some of these prophetic dreamers in this house that you've been locked up, you're about to get unlocked in a way you've never been unlocked before. The seers are going to begin to rise to the occasion. Now, I'm telling you, this tribe is going to begin to function very, very, very prophetically in the days to come. What I see on you is there begins to become a prophetic swirl of spontaneity that begins to generate its own manifestation and spectrum of light. Be ready for the spontaneous. Be ready for unscripted. Be ready for the same song for 50 minutes because there's a flow and an atmosphere of grace and breakthrough for which you don't follow the list. Let me, let me give you three or four prophetic things that I typed at 4 o'clock this morning. Don't feel bad for me. That's 5 o'clock my time. That's all good. But, but it was 4 o'clock this morning. From about 4 to 6.30, I found myself in a place where Yahweh began to give me grace to identify prophetically some things concerning the Rock of Bay County. I recognize there's a lot of people here from a lot of different places, but I want to talk, and the sons of mine that are here from other places, they want me to talk specifically to this house. But I I, I want to talk a little bit, just, just quickly. Now that we've identified who he is, he's going to start talking to you about the next dimension of who you are. Principally, this tribe is experiencing the grace of Joseph and Benjamin. That's just big. That, if that part didn't weird you out, you don't have the ability to be weirded out. I'm just sorry. You, wow. Joseph, I'm, when, I, when I started writing those notes, I never even think of him in terms of Benjamin. Before God, he's Ben to me. Yahweh said, not, not by the way of the father. Father has never called him Ben. His name's Benjamin. Didn't know his name, had no idea his name was Joseph. But there's Joseph and there's Benjamin. There's two sons that never exist if Jacob doesn't become Israel. I want you to see this. They never become who they were designed to be until their father learns to rest on the rock established by his grandfather Abraham. That's what's happening this weekend. You and I are coming into a place of joy and rest and peace and fulfillment and of the increase of his government and peace there'll be no end how will you know government is increasing in a people it'll be matched by the measure of peace because of the increase of his government and peace there'll be no end you measure how government is prospering among a people by the measure of peace they're operating in we have a strong government not so just so we win when we go to war We have a strong government, so nobody wants any. Therefore, we have peace because you don't want none. I'm sorry, that's country, isn't it? Right? So the government here was not to make sure that you just fought well and you strive well and you pass the test and you go through the process. It was ultimately give you permission to come into a measure of peace. Mark quoted the verse this morning, be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Here's what happens in people in in interior duplicity. There's a race going on between your peace and your understanding. And if you demand to understand everything, then you'll feed your understanding and starve your peace. 
But the peace of God is supposed to surpass your understanding. And peace brings you into some places you don't have the ability to understand. Prove it, okay? The Bible said he's past finding out. So he's going to show you parts of who he is you don't have understanding for. You don't have the mental acumen for some of the things he wants to bring you into. You're not going to have vocabulary for it. You're not going to be able to read somebody's book or, or, or listen to somebody's podcast or, or get on a blog and figure out what's going on in the realm. This Zion realm is going to require you to become rooted in his kindness, trust that his name is Abba, accept that your identity is beloved. Beloved is your name, not failure. Not apathetic, not complacent, not inconsistent, not divorced. Just beloved. And when you become the full version of that that you've been designed to be, you'll actually begin to release the full spectrum of light you were designed to emit. All right. So a few things I just want to say prophetically about this house, and then we're going to just see wherever Mark wants us to go from here. I'm going to call these the communicable attributes of your tribe. Communicable attributes. That's communicable that, that can be transferred. Think of a communicable disease, okay, but in the positive sense. Okay. These are communicable attributes. This is something you can become to the point that you become contagious. All religion is is an inoculation. I give you just enough of something to keep you from getting the real thing. You know how they try to keep you from getting the flu? Give you a little bit of it. You know how religion keeps you from the kingdom? Gives you just enough of it that you never catch the real thing. Communicable attributes of this house, number one. A house of presence. A house of presence. Never make the presence of Yahweh a thing. It's an announcement that he's present. And inside of what we would call a presence movement now, people are messing this up. And they're making the presence of God the feeling they have inside of a worship service. And it is actually an announcement that he's here. And the right response is not just feel it, it's access the realm that's available inside of presence. So one of the first things that's going to mark this weekend forward is going to be a great increased measure of presence. That means you're going to have moments where you're going to have to be okay with sitting there. You're going to have to learn to host well if you're going to have him present. Martha is asking for Jesus to help her correct her sister for not being restless. Martha's running around, wait, make sure everybody's cup is filled. And she comes to Jesus and she says, my sister is sitting there doing nothing and I need you to correct her. And he turns to Martha and says, Martha, Martha. You are being led around in a circle by many things. That's what that language literally means. You're being led around in a circle by many things, but one thing is needful. Mary has chosen that better part, and it will not be taken from her. 
One translation says, and I won't let you take that away from her. Because this is what religion wants you to do. Wants you to be filling up cups. Wants you to be serving. Wants you to be little worker bees. If you're going to be a bee, be the queen. Don't be the worker. Be in control of the whole life. Here's what you have to begin to understand. There is a presence that you and I were designed for that when that presence comes, all activity has to yield to the reality that he's in the room. This is going to shift the way you worship around here. This is going to shift the way that you do worship because you're going to have to yield to a flow even if nobody's putting any words on the screen for you. And I want to help you to know more of that is coming. It is in those moments that you actually enter what I call the glory of God, which is the transformative dimension beyond the dimension of presence. What you and I do with presence determines if we ever experience glory. The glory is transformative. The glory is where you glow. The glory is where you release your spectrum. The glory is you are rising and shining out of Isaiah 60. Many don't get to that because when the presence of God comes, they want to move on to the next thing. Or you were taught incorrectly that the purpose of worship is to make you ready for the preaching, and that is incorrect on every level. I know, I know people have said that, but that is not why we worship. The whole purpose of the corporate gathering is doxological. That's the, that's the word for worship. It's a worship expression. Even what I'm teaching you this morning has got to be fuel for you to be more effective in the arena of worship. Because principally what the next phase or dimension of this house will look like is you'll become a house of worship. Not music. Worship. Music is not worship. Music is one of the most effective vehicles I've ever come across to help facilitate worship, but it is not worship. And there are going to be moments where Yahweh is going to come into this place in such a way that you're going to be given permission to just be okay like Mary, to sit at his feet. And that part will never be taken from you. One thing is needful. Mary has chosen that better part, and it will not be taken from her. So you'll be a, you'll be a tribe of presence. This is not all you'll be. This is just some things I saw early this morning. Communicable attribute will be you'll be a people who learn to host presence well. A communicable attribute will be that you will be a people of communion. Not grape juice and crackers or wine if you're free. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Make sure Apostle Ball really isn't here. You'll be a people of communion. Let me define communion for you. A common unity experienced within an intended measure of presence. There are going to be times where he's just going to come to commune with you. And the time of you hosting him well without aiming at it, you're going to get joined to people you never would have seen yourself getting joined to as family because the one thing you have in common is going to come cancel everything you don't have in common. Your obsession with presence is going to become the new means you use to attract those you're designed to walk closely with. Presence, communion, again, common unity experience within an intended measure of presence. Third, family, specifically children. Never apologize for any money that you spend to make the experience with God for your children, everything that Yahweh designed it to be. 
I see children who are going to begin to come into dream streams in this place. Your kids are going to begin to experience things in adolescence that you've yet to experience in adulthood. Yahweh is going to mark the children of this house to be uncommon. The scripture says there was a generation born in the wilderness that did not know Egypt that never knew what it was like to live in slavery or captivity. And they're going to begin to encounter a measure of presence that's going to create in them an appetite for more of Yahweh, even from their infancy, some even while they're still in their mother's wombs. And you're going to begin to see a great outpouring of the Spirit begin to happen among your children. I saw last night, uh, 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm laying there, and I could see parents standing along the wall watching their children have encounters with the love of God, seeing tears stream down their face, open vision and prophetic dreams beginning to happen even among the youngest among you and the parents will stand in that moment and say everything I did to get planted beside this stream was worth it because I'm seeing the fruit of it begin to be accomplished within my own children. Mom and dad get planted. Quit being a lawless wanderer and name it led by the spirit. Get planted. Get established. I have roots here. I have roots here. I can trace my root system back to this gym, back to that room up there where that chain link fence was on the other side of that room. Feel that. Feel that. Communicable attribute. Presence, communion, common union, experience with intended measure of presence. Third, family, specifically children. We call this in South Carolina transgenerational consciousness. It's impossible for you to identify yourself as a man or woman of the kingdom and not have in your heart generations. And listen, there's, there's a story in the Old Testament of a group of people who ended up in such a severe famine that women boiled their babies and ate them. You know, this is in the Bible. They boiled their babies and they ate them. Do you know what that is? You know what that is? That's a people who will not live their lives in a place where they're never fruitless. And because of that, they let their own appetites actually devour the next generation. We look at it and think, what kind of messed up, sick individual would you have to be? But I'm telling you, every time you pick the church you like because it's the music style you want and you don't consider where your kids are going to be impacted by the glory of God. Everybody that got in a church, I'm going to talk a little while. Everybody that went to a church that started at 8 o'clock because they knew they could get out by 8.50 because they wanted to go to brunch somewhere nice and never considered whether their children were encountering the glory of God in essence let their own appetite cost them the spiritual life of the next generation. And God's going to raise up a group that say the heart of sons have been turned to the fathers and the heart of fathers have been turned to the sons. The last words of the Old Testament, Malachi says, if that change doesn't happen, God will smite the earth with a curse. God shuts up for 400 years waiting to find one father that would turn his heart to the next generation. I actually believe he found it in Zechariah because Zechariah did not demand that John the Baptist follow his father into temple service. He loosed him for the wilderness. Loosed him to be wild and free. God shut the mouth of Zechariah until Zechariah proved he wouldn't name what was happening after him, after himself. 
Everybody expected John the Baptist to be named Zechariah, and Zechariah's mouth was closed, and he could not speak until he wrote the name John and held the name John up. In essence, what he's saying is, I'm going to let the next generation be who Yahweh designed them to be, not try to make Mark Gerles like Nolan Ball. His name is Joseph. Do you see it? He's a dreamer. Let him rest. Let him dream. Let him, let him walk on the beach with his wife instead of being in an office 40 hours a week because you think that's where he's supposed to be. Nobody asks you where you think he's supposed to be. I'm telling him, now that you've found the rock, put your head on it and go to sleep. Yahweh's going to let you pour oil on this rock in a way there's never been oil here before. Come on. Do you feel it? Let him rest. He's a dreamer. Let him rest. He's a dreamer. These are your communicable attributes as a tribe. The common thread that will tie all of those communicable attributes together again is the idea that this house was designed to be a place of worship. Let me say that to you. Let me say that to you. One of the reasons, well, Bren was coming because Bren's my son and Bren loves me and he's going he's to be where I am. But one of the reasons I was glad Bren was here is because I wanted him to unlock something with that, whatever the, that is. But did you feel it? So that's, so that's not like, wow, man, let's, let's you know, Wow, you know, let's be a fan. No, 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 that was unlocking. That's what he was doing. He was using his key of beloved identity to unlock things in this house. When we all pack back up and go where Yahweh has for us next, don't you stop the dancing. Don't you stop the crying out. And don't let this be a two-day event. Let this be the announcement it's a new day. And from this day forward, you release the righteousness, the joy, and the peace of Almighty Yahweh through every expression of worship. Worship in this place should never look the same again. should never look the same again. It should never look the same again. <laughs> Yeshua stood up. I'm closing, seriously. Yeshua... <laughs> Yeshua stood up on the great day of the great feast and he said, he who is thirsty, come and drink from me. For if you believe in me, as the scripture has said, out of your innermost being, rivers of living water will flow. I've been quoting this one a lot lately. Yeshua stood up on the great day of the great feast, which was the last day of Israel's greatest feast, which was Pentecost. He stood up on the great day of Israel's great feast, the last day, and said, he who is thirsty... Come unto me and drink. For if you believe on me, as the scripture has said, out of your innermost being, out of your deepest being, some say out of your heart. The word is literally bowels. Out of the deepest part of who you are, rivers of living water will flow. How do you get rivers to flow out of the deepest part of who you are? You stay thirsty. He who's thirsty, come unto me and drink. For if you believe on me, as the script, do you, do you know, do you know a, a, a heart in you for one cup more could be the very thing that unlocks rivers from within you. 
This weekend's not to check a box, it's to induce a thirst. To say, whatever that was, I want more of that. I don't say that to glorify, I'm just telling you what's happening in here is unusual. Do you feel what's happening in here is unusual? I remember when I first came here, 13 years of age, I first came in here, looked like ants climbing on a chicken bone. That's Aaron Smith's analogy. I, I came here and looked like ants climbing on a chicken bone. There were people all over the place and people worshiping God and people going after God and people had found the apostolic and people had found the kingdom. And then, and, then, and then you found out there was a lot of people who liked what they saw but did not like becoming planted. Is that true, Miss Shirley? They did not want to go through the process of being covered up. They did not want to go through a process of being hidden. They wanted to be free to do it their way yet claim that they were in relationship with authority. And that is still happening in the earth today. I I deal with that regularly. However, there is a generation present now, come on, that have such a thirst to become who they were designed to be that they're willing to believe on Yeshua as the scripture has said and that thirst is causing rivers to be unlocked in the deepest parts of who they are. I feel rivers unlocking in here. There are four streams that fed the Garden of Eden and there are four chambers to your heart. Your heart is becoming your garden. Isaiah 35 prophesies a transformation of the land. That transformation of the land is identified, watch this, as a barren land beginning to sing and a lame man beginning to walk. So is Isaiah 35 about the transformation of a land or a man? It's the transformation of a man assigned to bring transformation to the land. All it took for Canaan to be a land flowing with milk and honey was for Abram to become Abraham. In his re-identification, he unlocked, locked up resources within the land. This is what's going to begin to happen. You're going to begin to feel things flow in you. When you do, turn aside to a certain place and jealously guard the measure of flow you feel happening on the inside of you. Jealously guard the measure of flow you feel happening on the inside of you. Feel this. I feel, I feel that happening to some people in the room. This, I've, had, I've seen this before, yeah, and you lost it. This time, make a decision that this is too valuable to let this weekend go in one ear and out the other ear. I'm gonna, I, matter of fact, I thought maybe because of the measure of flow we're experiencing, we would have another service beyond today. I don't think we're supposed to. I think what Yahweh wants us to do is go sit with what he's done and steward well the measure of breakthrough that he's given us as a family. This has been, I had high expectations and this has far exceeded my expectations. Has it yours? This is a new day. Now that you found your way into a new day, sit with him and let him talk to you about your new name. Some name change is going to happen in here. Both apostolic voices that led the expression of the New Testament church had to go through name changes. Peter, that would bring reformation to the Jew. Paul, who would bring reformation to the Gentile, started as Simon and Saul. Both had to go through re-identification to experience the fullness of apostolic impact. The impact this family has in, is, is intended to have will require that you go through a process of re-identification. For many in the room who have settled with being a church member, he's inviting you to become a resource where rivers flow out of your innermost being. 
If this house is principally a house of worship, if that is a primary indication of what the next age of this house is going to look like, then it's not going to be enough for you to attend. You're going to have to become a worshiper. I looked back last night and Miss Shirley was hand jiving with us. I said, you got to be kidding me. Come on. Come on. One generation will commend your kingdom to another generation. Your young men see visions and your old men start to dream dreams. When a new vision begins to come, old dreams start to stir again. Don't settle. Because you've been disappointed and because you've been heartbroken and because you went through betrayal, don't settle. There's something that you were designed to live in the center of that's going to transform Bay County and ultimately nations of the earth. The promise starts with this. I really am done. Let me shut all this before I get tempted to talk some more. The promise to Abram starts like this. Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. By the time it gets to Jacob, he says, through your family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. When a man becomes a family, get ready. The promise that all the nations of the earth are about to be touched is being announced. This is that. I want, you to, I want you to understand, this is that. This is that. You're planted beside the streams of living water. I don't care how old your roots are at the scent of water. I don't care how long it's been at the scent of water. I don't care if the droughts lasted decades. At the scent of water, you start to bud again. You start to turn green again. You start to dream again. You start to believe again. You start to sing again. You start to weep again. You start to burn again at the scent of water. I feel it. I feel it. You feel it? I feel it. I think we need to close with an expression of worship. I'll turn this over. Does that feel right to you? Yahweh, you said a day would come that the nations of the earth would fear you because of your goodness. Make that goodness shine from this family until nations of the earth experience the fear of the Lord. You're better than I believed you were. And just like Apostle Ball was jealous for your name, I'm jealous for your nature. He refused to call you anything but Yahweh, and I refuse to call you anything but good. You are Yahweh, and you are good. Not just your name, but your nature. Not just your name, but your nature. Feel it. It is the goodness, kindness of God that leads men to change the way that they think. I thank you for shifts in thinking that are happening this weekend. 
members of this family, those that have been established and those who were never established, those that have been planted and those that remained wanderers. I pray that the vagabond spirit come off of the family and they become trees planted by rivers of living water that bring forth fruit in every season. No more wandering. Give them wonder where they used to wander. Let them become mesmerized and overwhelmed by the greatness of who you are being revealed by way of your goodness. This is what we do when he comes. We wait. We yield. Come on, he'll start talking to you about your name. This is the dimension of inspired thought. Right here in this dimension, you can start to think things you've never thought before. Hear things you've never heard before. Be given permission to declare things you've never declared before. You actually will start to come into agreement with his perspective by way of encountering this measure of his goodness. The earth has now seen an apostle. What's going to happen when the earth begins to see an apostolic people that is the fruit of the life of an apostle? A whole people who function in authority. A whole group of people who can leverage breakthrough. Sholemandikia Yahweh, I sink fully into the seat you've given me here in this family. From that place of authority, I leverage measures of your presence they've never experienced before. Measures of beloved identity that bring their own re-identification. Show us we're loved until we can't hardly stand it. Show us we're favored until it's more than we can bear. Draw us into the secret place. Draw us into secret encounters that eye has not seen and ear has not heard. Never the same again, it's a new day. Never feeling less than again, they've got a new name. One of my spiritual sons is a prophet. This here was several prophets, but this one is specifically has a word that I want him to share with you. Bobby's a, a prophet to me, prophet to our family, the pastor in Charleston, but I want you to hear this word. So this morning, I woke up with the same thought that Apostle had about the significance of where he stands on this floor being the top of the key. And this morning, I saw a key, 
And I remember telling my wife, Jesse, before we came that it was key that we came. And I kept using the phrase, it's key that we come here. And so when Apostle was teaching today, it started to connect some things uh, that I was hearing and seeing. And one of those things is that a key, one key has two parts. One of it is the blade and one of it is the bow. The long part is the blade and the, the part on the end is called a bow. And you take the key and you put it into a lock, but unless you turn the key or leverage the key, it doesn't unlock what you have access to. And I feel like this entire weekend, if you can hear the prophetic picture of this, there is a lock that is going to have access. You have access. The access is there. It is open. It is available. And he told me that he said the blade is the name. This is why Apostle Ball, from everything that I've learned from my apostle about Apostle Ball, it was about getting the name right. He even said that to me over there. He said he always wanted the name of Yahweh to be correct. And Yahweh spoke to me and he said, because that is the blade that goes into the access. But it's his nature that's the bow. If you're going to use the name, you've got to know the nature. So you're going to leverage some things by his nature because his name has found the access point. It has found the lock that is going to open up dimensions that have been blocked off to you before. They are now open by way of leveraging the nature. You are leveraging the nature of the name of Yahweh. And it's going to begin to open things up to you that were once locked up. And I just believe that that's what this whole weekend is about. I believe that's why Apostle has brought so much identification. Because the name has been here. But now his nature is going to leverage that name and open up some things. And I believe there's a baptism on the sea of glass that is coming to this family. I kept hearing that all weekend, that there's going to be a new baptism on the sea of glass that is mingled with fire, and that's where your color's coming from. That's where your spectrum of color and your encounters are going to come. That's where these protracted times of sitting and longing for more of the same, deeper and deeper, I believe it's coming because the key, one key, has two parts. It's the blade and the bow, the name and the nature. And unless you leverage the nature, the name does not open the same way that it does with the nature. So So let's let's leverage our, our lock. You want to? Come on, let's just begin to turn some things. Let's just begin to buy the Spirit right now. Yahweh, we believe things are unlocking that have been locked up. Promises that have been locked up. Breakthroughs that have been locked up. Miracles that have been locked up. Keys to dimensions are being leveraged and turned. The authority is here to turn the key to the glory of Yahweh. Things are being unlocked. Come on. I want to thank everyone that's here. People that have traveled to come here, Apostle received something from him I believe you have received something but I I thank you for your heart to to let him speak to this house today Jay Iris didn't get breakthrough for his daughter by being anxious when Yahweh when Yeshua stopped for the woman with the issue of blood he knew he was walking with the source so there's no reason to be anxious so I believe that even if you came 
And you just had to be faithful and sit here and let apostles speak over this house and this land. And you might not be from here or joined here. I just, I just encourage you that your walk is still coming. That let this be an announcement to your house, to your land, that all of this is for you as well. Amen. But I see something in my spirit today. And, and the way to stay misidentified is to be hidden. To pretend I'm identified, to pretend that I feel something that I don't. And I'm looking for a tribe, a family, Benjamin and Joseph. And I, before you even think about it, I don't mean that you have to have it figured out and there's no condemnation if you've been a part of this house and been a part of this family and you don't feel this this morning. But if you're a part of this tribe, I want you to come forward and stand here with us. Move in the center, guys. Let there be no question. Come stand with us. I don't care if it's five, fifty, a hundred, doesn't matter. If this is your land, if this is your house, if this is your tribe, I need you to stand with me today. Come on, family. Come on, tribe. Come on, tribe. Yeah, y'all push up, make room. I want us all up here. If we're family, we can be good being close, right? I've got gum in my mouth. You all right? Jonathan, I don't mean to call you out, but could you come stand next to me? Let's lift our hands, family. Let's receive this today. This house is a house of presence. This is a tribe of presence. This house is a way of is a is a house of worship unlike we have ever seen. Unlike we have ever seen. If we do it like we've seen it, we've we're doing it wrong. Eye has not seen nor ear heard nor entered into our hearts what Yahweh's going to do here in this land. And this is a house of family. This is a certain place. This is a safe place. If there's ever been a back and forth with you here, there's ever been a trust issue or am I doing it right? Am I making the right choice? How's this going to line up? How's this going to work out? What job? It's a certain place. Apostle came and delivered that. It's a certain place. Let there be no question in your heart today. Let there be no identification issues here. We're a tribe. We're a tribe. We're a family. 
And I just want to declare over us today that this is not a two-day weekend. Apostle said that, but I'm, I'm declaring it over us. This is not a two-day weekend. This wasn't a guest speaker coming in. This was an apostle, a father, making a declaration over a family, over a tribe, giving us a new name. Because we stand here today planted. We can go anywhere from here. And we will. This is a safe place. This is a safe place. Let's let this sit. Don't go home today and just let this be. Well, that was a great service and powerful because he identified us. Did he? Feel it inside. Know it inside and sit in this. We're plugged into a source. It's not falling. It's flowing. Amen. 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 Thank you, Yahweh. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Abba. love you all. Thank you so, 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 so much. Apostle, thank you so, 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 so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Brothers, I told y'all I never knew how I'd fit in because I don't have a beard. I'm the kid, <laughs> but I've never, I've never known brothers like that. They don't even know me, and I'm family. Apostle didn't even know me, and he didn't even know my name, really. <laughs> but he was going to be a father to me. And in turn, that's family to our family. And it's not just those that are sitting here. It's actually everybody in this room. So I'm thankful for all of you. And I'm just thankful for what y'all brought in your hearts. Bless you today as you go. We love you. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on The Rock of Bay County, please go to therockofbc.org.